Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is the Sunday Times bestselling author of multiple poetry books. Her poems span parenting, marriage, self-love, body image, grief, and loss. You know, most of the difficult things you're going to face in life. And poetry just has a way of getting to the issue straight to the heart. We speak a little bit about my time in Brooklyn and how difficult it was making female friends, and the importance in making friends with women who truly like themselves. How special and easy that can actually be with the right person. How the unconscious messages we give to our children affects them. Why poetry helps with grief. And how peace is the key to happiness. She's a wordsmith with an ability to write with such a natural, even lyrical flow. Oh, and just wait till you hear her gorgeously soft Scottish accent. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Donna Ashworth. Hello, Donna. How are you? I am very well. How are you? Yeah, really good. It's lovely to talk to you today. I'm very delightfully surprised by your beautiful accent. Yes, <laughs> it's very Scottish. It's so nice. It's like, um, it's almost like listening to a melody. So beautiful. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the world of poetry. What a beautiful world to live in. It is. It is. It's, a, it's not a world I ever thought I would live in. Oh, really? But it's where I am, for sure. So when did it spark for you, the poetry aspect of your writing? Was it very recently? Around about three years ago, I started to share, maybe a, a little bit more, I started a Facebook page and the idea was just some positivity, some female connection, a place where we could all kind of chat and have a laugh about things that affected us. And then I started to share quotes written by other people. Then I started to write my own. And then I started to share a few poems, which is something that I've always kind of done in the background, but never deliberately or actively or anything like that. And I realized that as soon as I shared them, they were hitting the mark. People were enjoying it. But I was anonymous at that time. My page was called Ladies Pass It On. I tried to make it look like a sort of group of people, but it was really only just me. Oh, really? Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> and then during the lockdown, I think everything sort of reached a peak. And I thought, I'm going to really do this now because we're all looking to the internet for hope, positivity, help, you know. And I thought, um, it will get me through the lockdown if I share with everybody every day. So I did. And that's when it really kicked in. It really does help, doesn't it, to kind of become creative in moments of like feeling stuck or feeling like you yeah. can't do anything else. I turned to cooking. You'd think I turned to songwriting, but that's been my job for so long. I just was like, I'm just going to bake. I just wanted to do something different. Exactly. I had been writing a lot of pandemic poetry and one of them went viral. 
And it was recorded by uh, Michael Sheen and Griffith Jones and some, the NHS and in America, the the doctors recorded it. So it kind of gave me a bit of confidence. And I thought, I'm going to put all my lockdown poetry in a book and I'm going to publish it. So I did it myself via Amazon. And that was two years ago. So my first You did it yourself? Did it myself. And then I did another one three months after it with all the like my favourites. How hard was that? Was it a massive challenge or was it very doable? Because I know there'd be people listening today that would like to do that. So doable. And I get a lot of people asking me, anyone can publish a book on Amazon. You don't have to pay for it. All you have to do is join, create an account and then upload the manuscript and they will check it. Obviously, they'll check it for hate speech and things like that, but they don't spell check it or anything. They're censoring (laughs) you. Bloody Amazon. (laughs) But then the beauty is that they will print it and they will send it. And they only print when someone orders. So there's no wastage. There's no sort of effect on the planet. If you sell 100 books, they will print them and send them out for you anywhere. But if you don't sell any, you're not spending any of your money. Not wasting anything. That's brilliant. So what about the artwork? Do you just kind of, you upload it and say, this is my front cover. This is page one to a million. And then they just do it. Yeah. So you create the front cover and everything and you upload it fully. And it's such a brilliant thing. You know, you you get a lot of people, especially older people who've written poetry their whole life, and they want to make a book just so that they can buy it. But they don't want to make it and pay thousands of pounds to a publisher to print it because you can pay for your book to be published as well. So I always recommend it. And I get a lot of people saying, oh, I don't like Amazon. Can I order anywhere else? But for small writers like me, where else can you do that? It's a wonderful place. You know, it started off as a book store, didn't it, Amazon? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I really recommend it. Anyone can do it. I worked in magazines for a couple of years in my sort of early 30s, late 20s. And then I think I had my kids. And I just thought my husband and I were running a soft play centre, which was wonderful because we could take the kids with us every day. It was perfect. But I started to just think to myself, I need more connection and I need a bit of creativity. And also, I want to talk to other mums and say, you know, this is hard. And I want everybody to sort of peel away the layers and say, no, I'm not getting it right every day. And actually, I really struggle. And maybe if we all say that to each other, we can all laugh about it and struggle together. And so that was the premise behind the Facebook page. I wanted to sort of create a little safe place on the internet where we could all go, you know, everyone's life looks like something from the outside in, but actually it's tough. Yeah. Life is hard. And of course, (laughs) immediately I waved my hand above the parapet and said, anyone else struggling? And everybody went, yes. Yes, me too. So for me, it's all about let's not pretend that we can do everything every day because nobody can. Let's not pretend that life is easy, even when it's good, because it isn't. It's a struggle. You know, there are so many things in every day. And that's where the poetry came from. It was a sort of an equaliser, a leveller. Women especially can really connect with other women, doesn't matter what age you are or where you live or what you do. We have the same things to face in a day. 
And it's just been brilliant. And of course, because it's a female orientated group, it grew and it grew and it grew and they shared it and they spread the joy until you've got, you know, 850,000 followers. And that's all because of that circle of energy where, you know, we're not pretending everything's perfect. We're just being really real. We talk about aging, we talk about weight, we talk about the pressures, you know, societal pressures that we face. We talk about grief, we talk about menopause, we talk about absolutely everything and all the poetry covers all of that. Yeah. Can I read you one of your poems that I found online? <gasps> I'm going to read Can one. I would love and that. And it's about women. I would love that. Um, okay, okay, so great. it's titled, I believe, Women Who Like Themselves. Yes. Nice choice, Joss. Love this. I love this. Women who like themselves give out a totally different light. It's like pure unfiltered sunshine mixed with that heady golden hour glow you only seem to find on holiday. As the sun takes its leave of the day and makes way for the promise of night. Oh, it's so lovely. That light which makes everything and everyone appear so much more beautiful as the air is filled with something special something which sparks joy deep within your heart. Seek out the women who like themselves, for they will like you too. Their eyes are not the judging kind. And if you find these women and watch them closely enough, something magical may just occur. You may learn how to like yourself too, just a little bit. Oh! I oh, think this you read is that so, so nice. beautifully. <laughs> Gosh, it's kind of actually quite daunting reading it in front of you. I've read it a few <laughs> times. And I'm like, oh my God, this is actually terrifying. But I do love this poem. I think it's obviously people who like themselves, of course, are lovely to be around. But we're talking specifically here about women. And when I was reading it, I was kind of thinking to the time when I lived in Brooklyn. I've lived in lots of different places and I don't have a normal job where, you know, you go to an office and you kind of get camaraderie with people. And I go away every few weeks for touring. So making friends is actually really hard in a new place. And I found after about a year, I was getting really like upset because I was desperately trying to make friends with women, not men. I don't want to make friends with men. Yeah. Because, you know, you go to the pub. Of course they want to talk to you. They're blokes. They're trying to shag you, basically. If a guy <laughs> walks up to you in a pub, he's not trying to make a friend. Let's be clearly honest. No. Unless he's yeah, gay, you know. Absolutely. So we need the gays. We need the girls. I've got some great male friends that I have been friends with since, you know, 20 years. But often if you break up with your boyfriend, they'll be like, hey... So yeah. that does happen and it's really yeah, upsetting. It so, you know, making friends with women can be very hard because there is, there can be insecurities and things like this. And when you meet a confident woman that knows her worth and doesn't have any insecurities, it's great. You can spark with them super quickly. So I feel like when I'm reading that, I'm hearing women who like themselves give out a totally different light. It's the first line really that like knocks it on the head. That's the beauty of life, really. Just be good with you. And I think that women who like themselves, it's not really happened naturally. They've had to work, work it out, everybody it. feels. Yeah. And they've stopped judging themselves. They don't judge you. Exactly. You, you can immediately tell when that connection, I write a lot about female friendships, you know. I call them, most of the romance in your life will come from your female friends. I mean, to me, that's the truth. 
And you can immediately tell when that connection is, you know, it's almost primal, it's cellular, it's spiritual, it's a little zip and a little fizz. And then you can join other female groups that are so complicated. And, you know, it's not for built on the right foundations, it's not for the right reasons, and you're never going to be able to achieve that feeling in there because it didn't happen organically like that so when you meet somebody and you get that little zip and you know it's nothing to do with what you do or how often you'll see them it's more base than that you meet another human and you go I like you you know and I don't know why I like you but I know that I like you it's such a special thing and the biggest thing is I like you I don't know why I like you and I'm not in competition with you yeah yeah that's and why a would huge you be? thing why would you be but that only comes from a place of worry like insecurities that we all have and if we let those take over it all comes down to nature self-worth yeah self-worth and I think if everybody was taught how to have good self-worth from the start oh yeah it would make everything different you know in schools we try to work out our place in a friendship group and we're taught to compete we're taught to compete in schools Everybody compete oh, every yeah. day, you know, you're number one, you're at the bottom, you're in this group, you're in that. Yeah. So of course we learn to compete mm-hmm. and we go out into real life and we compete. And it's only when you get to a certain stage. Normally, I think when something happens or you have kids or, and you start thinking, what, who am I competing with? I can't even, you know, get to the end of the day without annoying myself. <laughs> I just want somebody that I can go, oh, look what I've just done. Can you believe it? And they'll go, oh, yeah, don't worry. You know, you'll do it again tomorrow, probably. And we all do. And I think once you raise that curtain, everything is so much more beautiful behind it. Yeah, so true. So we had Darren Brown on this podcast right at the beginning. I had to listen. Oh, did you? Oh, he is the sweetest. And he wrote this book called Happy. And at the very beginning of the book, he tells a story about this little girl who's taking a picture with somebody that her mum's a fan of. And they're backstage. And the guy's like, okay, yeah, I'll take a picture with you. And um, so she stands there. She's like, yeah, no, stand in there. Just, you know, smile. And the, the little girl kind of like shuts her eyes and the picture is a bit messed up. So the guy was like, hey, do you want to take another one? You know, she, her eyes are shut. And the mum goes, oh, no, don't worry about that. She looks like that all the time. She's really shy. And the way that Darren Brown was explaining it was that is the story that that little girl is being given. She's being given that story. Just like when we go to school, we get given a certain set of rules and we get placed into certain positions like I was in set what was that we had sets at school so the set that I was in was for people with special needs so I thought do I have special needs like am I am I different am I like stupid you know so you get given an idea about yourself it's usually bollocks so if that mum had said to her she's beautiful let's take another one because you're so beautiful she would feel differently about herself yeah so when we have kids I think we have to really think about this we do and we do and it's such a minefield as well but actually it's like you and Darren said it's actually much more simple than all the books that you can read about parenting and so on just do not label them you know oh I've got two kids she's the quiet one she's you know just It's constantly evolving. They're going to constantly change. It's never going to stay the same. And give them a chance to, like you say, to step up and shine just because they didn't 
shine one time yeah. or 10 times doesn't mean to say they're not going to find something. But it's a huge pressure trying to bring up another human. <laughs> I know. And without like putting... And mould them. Yeah, you're going to put whatever your issues are kind of into them without meaning to. Yeah, you can't help it. It will. But I think if they see you openly evolving and openly apologizing and openly growing and openly, you know, watching yourself and saying, actually, I don't like that behavior that I displayed yesterday. If you can teach them that, a lot of people think it takes away your position of uh, discipline Mm. or power. Mm. And it's quite the opposite because you cannot demand respect. You must teach them how to respect and you teach them how to respect you by respecting them. Right, exactly. You can't just say, respect me. They have to understand what the concept of respect is. And if if they feel respected, they'll learn how to respect. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fascinating topic. How many kids do you have? I've got two boys. Oh, lovely. (gasps) And they are 14 and 10 now. So they are getting, you know, up to that. I'm through that sort of uh, formative. I mean, it's all formative, but I'm through the sort of, you know, that first trench where everything is about keeping them alive and, you know, know. (laughs) building their immune system and their bones and their muscles and, and, you know, the pressure of that is insanity. It's horrendous. As you know. Oh my gosh. It is terrifying. I know. I know. It's so terrifying. And I think we seek other people who have been through exactly the same thing that we are going through that day don't we so oh yeah if you can reach out and connect and say has this happened to you yet yeah, that don't worry that's a, oh, I mean that the worth of that is huge it is worth more than you know a million self-help books or you know whatever it is that you could do to, to better you're just somebody understanding and having been there and got through it is so important so when I started the page again I was in that knee deep in two kids you know and desperate to reach out and go, please tell me you feel like this. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to feel like you're the only one in the world that's kind of getting it wrong. No matter what you're going through, you're never the only one. And that's why it's so important that we show up as we are, late, flustered, you know, messy, whatever, because somebody watching sees that and goes, oh, maybe I can do that too, you know, and it's a circle of energy that just constantly empowers. And I think the word empower has been, you know, used a bit too much in the last couple of years, but it does. It gives everybody the confidence to go, I didn't get it right. You know, my day has run away with me and I have to admit it. And that's that. And it's normal and it's fine. We're human. It's normal and it's fine. And if you shine a bit of light on it, it's no longer dark. It's quite simple. You know, if you talk about it and we always end up laughing about it, don't we? So true, isn't it? Us girls. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> I just recently saw a clip of um, Princess Kate and her little boy, and he was like proper kicking off. And the world was like, even the princess, <laughs> even she has to deal with, you know, the difficulties of bringing up a little, a little person. Did you watch the Jubilee when he, is that the clip? When it he must was on have the been the Jubilee. I just saw it on Instagram. I was like, oh my oh, gosh. gosh, what would you do? My mum would have dragged me out of there and be like, we're going home. But she can't do and that. And she was brilliant. Yeah, she was super classy, isn't she? 
I wrote a piece about it actually on the page and it went, you know, because people were judging, you know, people were saying, oh, he's sticking his tongue out and he pulled Charlotte's hair. I don't know if you saw that. Oh my gosh, um, it's so cute though, isn't it? She should have been harder on him. She should have moved him. And I thought, are are you kidding now? And I think unless you've had a child like that as well, not that we're judging them that early because some children do it all the time. Some children do it once in a blue moon, but I have been there so many times <laughs> yeah. and nothing applies you know I would have done this I would have done that would you wonderful yeah Great. right exactly <laughs> I you didn't. have no idea what you would have done when millions of people are watching yeah. you good luck trying to put yourself in those shoes and then you saw Mike behind her Mike Tyndall and he's tapping him on the shoulder and going oh is he he's saying don't do that yeah <laughs> I wonder if you would act differently knowing that there is millions of eyes on you. I'm sure you would, you know, so it would be different when you're in. Oh, it'd be awful, wouldn't it? I would be sweating. I think the naughtier the child, the more interesting the adult. Oh, I totally agree. And some children are just not great at being children because they just don't like rules. And I wasn't. I was terrible. Some children are not easily confined, you know, and I feel so sorry for them that they have to be confined for so long. I know. But the minute they're not, they come out and, you know, the world's their oyster. Yeah. And they just have to get there. And it's hard that the system that we have just it's not a one for all fit. No. And I don't know how I would fix it, but I wish that I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We don't have to, just have to enjoy the madness that we're living. It is madness. It's madness. madness. And it's beautiful. More madness, please. Yeah. Messy madness. Yeah, that's what life is. That's what makes it colourful. Oh, the tapestry of life. Many different colours. Indeed. Indeed. Everything in one day. Sometimes all at once. (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly. Then it's like (laughs) slightly overwhelming, but still wonderful. (laughs) I'm constantly overwhelmed. I am. You're in a state of like heightened stress the whole time. Well, I'm very calm and I know how to deal with it and I know how to breathe and I know how to calm the chatter, but I'm still overwhelmed with all the tasks that I have to achieve. I have to put them on the on and say, okay, just a few for now. And, you know, I'll see to that later. And if, if you let it all in at once, it would be a tsunami, wouldn't it? So true. I used to be a singer-songwriter for a few years. And in fact, I was listening back to, I made an album in my early 20s before the internet. Wow. (laughs) Tell me about that. And I mean, I was nowhere near, you know, in your (laughs) category. I had a decent voice, but not like yours. It wasn't a, a natural talent. But for me, it was the lyrics. I really enjoyed creating the song. So it's really lovely that I'm able to do that now without trying to sing when I really am not a great singer. I leave that to the wonderful singers on this earth like you. (laughs) But I just love the concept of putting the lyrics together, putting the story together and making a connection. Really, you're a lyricist. That's what all poetry is. My mum, she cannot sing to save her life, but she's written many, many, many a song. Wow. Because she's just a great poet. So it doesn't always need to come with a melody. I can add a melody later. We could do that with this song. Oh, yeah, please do. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) We could say, (laughs) women who like themselves give out a totally different light. It's like pure unfiltered sunshine. You know, it doesn't just chuck a melody on, mate. You've written a song. It's not hard. That was extremely (laughs) surreal for me to hear. (laughs) 
you. <laughs> Not only reading it out, but singing it. Oh, I, I, I might be a bit speechless for a minute or two there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly gosh. It's funny, isn't it? Um, oh, so gosh, that was wonderful. The books you which I thought was one book. It's not. It's three books. And they're all coming out on the 4th of October, all the same day. So essentially, they're all in competition with each other, which I think is really brilliant. Which I didn't really realise until (laughs) after. I thought, why am I doing this? I managed to get myself a lovely bestseller slot. And then I thought, oh, well, that's going to be difficult to do again, isn't it? Because let's cut it, in, <laughs> let's cut it all in three. Third your chances, and then everybody else who's releasing a book at the same time, you know. But I, I did it for uh, good reasons. I wanted to make it easier for people who read my poetry to know the themes of each one, so that they, you know, they could pick up a book that was going to really fit them at that point in time, or gift it to a friend going through something. They would be able to know which one. That was the concept. It was all about gifting because my books are used as gifts a lot, which is my favourite thing to know that. So that was why I did it. When I've been through difficult times, a few times I've been given something to read that has really helped me. And the last time I had a big loss, a friend of mine sent me a book and it was poems and it was surrounding that one subject. And it was so, it was such a nice thing because it wasn't like a, it wasn't a nothing It wasn't like, not to say other gifts are nothings, but sometimes they're just things to represent something or whatever. But it was lots of different kind of ideas and almost like lots of different hugs. Every page was like a different type of hug. And it did help me. And it did make me feel quite teary-eyed, actually. I was like, gosh, this person's really, just really knows and cares. It was a bigger thing than most of the kind of messages of condolence and stuff like that. And it's hard, isn't it, if you know somebody going through a loss. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to say. And you don't know whether to show up, whether it's going to help or make it worse. And, you know, we all, if our souls could talk to each other, we would, you know, we wouldn't need to worry about the words. And that's why I made that book. And in the beginning, I've written, you know, this is a safe place to grieve. It's a safe place to feel it all. But it's also a place for comfort and I never, ever would say move on or, you know, because I don't believe that you ever do. You have to learn to live with the grief. It's with you now. Once grief calls, it doesn't leave, you know, and that could be a very depressing thought unless you look at it as differently as possible and that, you know, the one human connection we all have is, is grief and people take bits of us with them when they go, but they leave bits of them with us when they leave. So you're still as whole as you were. There's just been an exchange of pieces of you and it's learning to move on with that person as a part of you and not a separate person. So I try to make it as comforting and as understanding as possible. And like you say, each poem will cover a different timeline or aspect of grief or stage of grief or a different kind of loss because there are so many. And I hope that at the end of the day, it will uh, be a huge comfort. Mm, I'm sure it will. So did you experience any specific losses when you were writing this? Was there any anything that was rolling around your head that you'd like to share? I mean, everybody asks me, you know, why do you write so much about grief? And you must have experienced a huge amount of, you know, awful tragedy in your life. And the honest truth is, no, not any more than anyone else. We've all had our share. but. I have always been one of these people that feels everything a million times too deeply, over emotional, over anxious, over sensitive, you know, know, over, over, over. And 
it's been really difficult to live with that all my life. It's caused me quite a lot of, you know, mental health issues because if you're going to feel everything too deeply, it's horrid. What a difficult life you live. So I write about everything as though I've been through it a lot of the time, but I haven't always been through it. It's just my perception based on other people sharing it with me or what I witness or what I feel. And it's always been a strange gift of mine, if you like, to understand everybody's pain and carry it. And it's a difficult gift to hold. Well, it is because you're just constantly sad, reeling yeah. from world events. and <laughs> yeah. But now I know what to do with it. I harness it, I write about it and off it goes and it can help. And that just, gosh, lovely for me. It's just such a, a lovely job to do. So when you are writing, is that in the moment, are you kind of feeling the benefit from that writing or does it last past it? It's a bit of a strange question. People talk a lot about flow state, you know, like snowboarders and rock climbers and also performers. They'll talk about, I got in the flow state. And it's like this feeling of almost like euphoria. I feel like the closest I've ever got to that is with music to help me get there. And whilst I'm writing songs and sometimes performing, but I'm just wondering as a poet, do you get into that zone and does it kind of... Is it only when you're writing or does it stay with you afterwards? Like, tell me a little bit about how it feels. I normally wake up with a poem in my head. I used to say it was like getting a fax in the middle of the night, but that was a long time ago when faxes were, were the thing. <laughs> now it's an email. So, <laughs> so I wake up and it's yeah. just there and I write it down. I tend to do my writing in the morning. But for these three books, I did sort of get in my office and sit down for the first time and say, right, I'm going to write on a theme and there were several days where I really tippy tippy tip tap tip it and you're doing this as you're doing it because you know you're flowing yeah and I never go back over things and chop and change them I made a deal with myself early on once it's out it's out post it done it's gone because I didn't want to start criticizing myself or judging myself or and I have literally got thousands of poems now and the only difficulty I have is keeping track of them remembering them I, I got to the end of these books and I thought oh I missed that one out and I missed that one out so giving myself that freedom not to judge or edit obviously I spell check it Actually, mostly my readers spell check it for me. If I miss something, they're like, oh, I love this one, Donna. But yeah, you want to put lightning and not lighting. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I do spell check them, obviously, and, you know, grammatically correct them. But I don't judge the concept of the poem or I trust that if that's what I wanted to say, that's what people are going to hear. And I'm really also really, really passionate about simple poetry you don't have to sit there and think, hmm, what did she mean by that? Oh, gosh. It's about your instant connection. Like you said, the first line, done, I'm in. I'm in. I don't want to use big words or, you know, convoluted concepts. I don't want people to say, aren't you clever? What a wonderful poet you are. I just want people to go, oh, I felt that. And of course, with poetic license, there, you know, that's a lovely weight off your shoulders. It really is a really lovely <laughs> yeah, job. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I do experience that euphoric feeling sometimes where I just think, oh yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> oh, but, you know, that's great. Whether it is or not is another thing. <laughs> I always find the first thought is the most honest and the most true. And then essentially it's the best thought. So share that one because you haven't yeah, kind of... absolutely. And also... 
the whole going back to women who like themselves, if you like yourself, you're not going to go back over and over and self-criticize and be like, oh God, it needs to be this, it needs to be that, it needs to be the other. You just accept you for you because that's who you are. That thought that you had when you woke up this morning, that's that who was you my are. thought. Yeah. yeah. And there's such a power in just letting that go out to the world yeah. and whoever likes it it's likes brave. it. Yeah, it's well, it's it's easy for me to say because I've gone from, you know, just doing it on Facebook and it's only now that, you know, I'm getting published and I'm getting, you know, so I, I've just been sitting here in my little office in Scotland and, you know, with some lovely people on Facebook and Instagram. So it was brave in the very beginning, but then once it began, it just felt, you know, lucky me, lucky me to be able to do this. That's so nice. They do say the key to happiness is to be grateful. Peace, peace. It's all about peace for me. If I'm not feeling peace over something, if I'm worrying about it or thinking, you know, have I, should I, that's when I really want to pull back in and batten down the hatches. Your peace needs to be solid, like your self-worth. If they're both solid, your peaceful state and your self-worth, then nothing matters outside of that, you know happiness and sadness they come and go excitement and dread they come and go but peace and self-worth should be the base camp the top yeah yeah so the book titled life do you speak a lot mm -hmm. about that so the life book is very much about anything that we, you can encounter along the way so I talk a lot about body image I talk a lot about aging you know because I'm 47 now and I'm heading in that direction and I talk about societal pressures. I talk about situations in your life when things get really tough and really difficult. Divorce, you know, when you lose your career or you feel like you're in a, a no man's land, midlife crisis. Any situation that you can find yourself in in life, I hope I've covered in that book, including collective things. You know, we've been through such a collective few years with the pandemic and you know and and then ongoing everything that's happening to have that sort of collective feeling when the whole world is seeing something happen at the same time it's, it's unusual so the book life is and it's very positive and very comforting but not in a not in an overly Disney positive way just in a very accepting realistic way you know yeah it's going to be tough and, and things are really tough but what about this and what, you know, and so I hope that life is the one for anything, really. Can I read you this one now? I'm going oh, to read another one of your poems. This is such a treat. I can't begin to tell you. <laughs> These are great. I love them. Okay. The greys, the dimples, the rolls, the wrinkles don't strip you of your grace. The lines, the weight, the clothes that pinch don't steal light from your face. If you could see what I can see, your world would open wide. The way your smile lights up the sky, the soul you have inside. The greys, the dimples, the rolls, the wrinkles, don't wash you of your wonder. The lines, the weight, the clothes that pinch, aren't worthy of your anger. If you could see what I see now, such beauty carved through time, you'd grieve the years you'd miss that joy, the tears and wasted time. The greys, the dimples, the rolls, the wrinkles don't steal away your light. But the way you talk down to yourself, those harmful thoughts just might. Yay. So true. It is so you true. You are so good at that. <laughs> no. You've made oh, my day. Dear. Yeah, I think that's a lovely poem. I think it's brilliant. I think we all, we all worry, don't we? And the thing is, 
we're born worrying about, especially as, as, as ladies, I don't know what it's like to be a bloke in this situation, but because we kind of grow up wanting to look a certain way and watching yeah, our course. Disney movies and stuff and we want to yeah. find the right man, so we've got to put our lashes yeah. on and look after our I face know. and put, you know, it does kind of put a lot of stress on how you look and how you feel in your clothes. It's huge. And I think when you get a little bit older as well, it's a full-time job. If you want to oh, fight <laughs> ageing... Yeah, you're, you're going to lose. <laughs> you're going to lose. You're ultimately fighting Mother Nature and Father Time, you know? it's not gonna You're not going to win. But what you will do is spend all of your money and waste a huge amount of your time trying to rewind the sunset instead of looking for the sunrise. And I'm determined that I am going to enjoy getting older and I'm determined to, to pick away at that she let herself go you know oh hasn't she aged yes um, yes <laughs> the, years, time works. <laughs> the years have passed oh. she didn't do anything wrong you know she didn't cause it that's what's meant to happen and why can we not celebrate the gray hair and the wrinkles or if that's not what you want to do great you know everybody should be able to show up as they are without this but it's it's societal it's cultural it's huge it, it's a big minefield to unpick but I feel like I don't know how you feel but I feel like it started unraveling I see so many people every day on oh, social yes. media being far more real yeah. and starting to say wait a minute you know that's not real I might not even be happy with it but this is what I look like and why should we have to pretend otherwise? Why should we only show ourselves when we're perfect? So I write a lot about that because I think it's a big thing in our lives. Mm. It shouldn't matter, but it really does to us. Really you know? does. It really yeah, does it affect really does. Your, your spirit. At the moment, I'm eight months pregnant and I've got, oh my God, I have put on, I don't know how many stone. I've put on. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> That's what you're meant to do. I know. But it's like so, it is, I know in my intelligent mind, I'm like, yeah, Joss, you're pregnant. You've got to feed your baby. It is really difficult because like clothes don't fit you. All right, that's fine. And then the maternity clothes, they say, order the size that you are in maternity. So if I'm size eight, I'll order size eight. Well, I'm not, I'm size bloody 10 now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. So even the maternity clothes make me feel like depressed. And then you get tired and all that. I mean, you're not a size anything. You're not a size You're a anything. size pregnant. You're a size, I love that, you're a size You're pregnant. a size pregnant and some people <laughs> double in size when they're pregnant and I don't think it's your call. I think it's... No, it's not. Whatever your genetic, <laughs> your body wants to do to birth a child, it's going to do. Some people hardly change. Great. Some people really look amazing, but that is rare. <laughs> but then I think, how are you holding that up? on your you know your skinny little legs I know <laughs> that side of a bump <laughs> and all of the models that they use they're not even bloody pregnant Donna they, they just it's, put it's on frustrating. a fake belly and it's like why did you not just use pregnant women as the models because then because we when you're pregnant oh god so your nose gets bigger your lips get bigger do they Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not oh, it's not just happening here. Your whole body changes. Your skin changes. I have like white patches all over my skin. 
And I'm like, every single thing, I'm like Googling, why is this happening? Oh, it's just because you're pregnant. It'll go away when you're not. I'm like, what? And then your hair's supposed to fall out afterwards. Don't know if that's going to happen, but let's see. Happened to me, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. what a bummer. Your teeth bleed and that's completely normal. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so dentist, why are my bloody teeth bleeding? Oh, you're <laughs> pregnant, love. Don't worry about it. What? <laughs> Do you have the sausage fingers and toes yet? Do you have thankles? No, thank God. <laughs> thank God I don't. But my legs I didn't different have thankles. I had thankles that came oh, from God. the thigh all the way down. And after I gave birth, oh, I um, I got elephantitis of the legs. What is that? Like when the water goes through your leg? They forgot to put the surgical stockings on me. I had to have an emergency C-section. So when I went for the shower after my second child, I went in and I thought, right, I'm ready for the mess that is going to be when I look down. You know, so I'm ready. I steeled myself. I looked down, and all I could see was my legs. And I thought, "What? What is happened? That? They were massive." So I had worn uh, maternity uh, yoga pants to the hospital, and I couldn't get them on. They were no. flares. <gasps> You're kidding! I, I couldn't get them on my legs. They were yoga pants. They were flary. Oh. And I thought, brilliant! I was not expecting this. So, and you know what? They disappeared within days. And I just remember thinking. I bet I have these now for life. Oh, Brilliant. No. Thanks for that. I oh, wasn't expecting no. it. But everything, it's so difficult and it's terrifying because you do think I've changed and this is permanent and it's not permanent. And you, the body is such an amazing thing. It bounces back. It bounces back differently. And that's difficult in itself because, you know, you change. You just want to feel good, you know, and if you can embrace the change then all power to you. But it is hard, you know, when your body it's is... really hard. Whether it's because you're going through pregnancy or whether it's because you have gone through chemotherapy or whether it's just the ageing process or whatever. You know, my mum had... Um, she had four kids and then she had to have a hysterectomy. So then she had to have, like, HRT, hormone replacement thing. So that, like, saved her. She was like, it's the best thing in the world because it sorts you out, you know, emotionally and all that kind of stuff. And I've heard many women, I've not been through menopause, but I've heard many women talking about menopause and how difficult that is and how your body changes and how you look changes. And it's it's bloody hard. It sounds very difficult. It's bloody hard. For me, I had to have a hysterectomy too. Did you? For endometriosis. Yeah. And what was that just like? Just a few years ago. Like to, you basically, they take out your womb, don't they? Completely. Yeah, everything. Everything. <gasps> Cervix, all oh of it. I God. kept my ovaries because I was still quite young. Okay. But your ovaries kind of stop working because there's nothing there for them to talk to. You know, they don't have a team anymore. Yeah, just they just like, give up. They're oh. like, okay, <laughs> I'm just not going to bother waking up this morning because there's nothing to do. Yeah. Exactly that. So I'm in the menopause and, uh, oh yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. You're in it now. Yeah. So I'm just really starting you look amazing. If menopause does that, bring it on, mate. It's very kind, but trust me, for me, it's the brain fog and the the hot sweat. So you think a hot sweat is going to be feeling hot, but it feels like somebody has set you a light. It's a burn. And I don't think I was ready for the burn. I thought I was just going to... But actually, when it first happened, I felt like my skin was hot. You know, I was like in the in the sun. So, yeah, I mean, poor women, we put up with an awful lot. And the more we talk about it and the more we laugh about it, the easier it is. Yeah, because then we're not alone. And luckily... <laughs> we're not freaking out, like, am I dying? Oh, God. <laughs> and the brain fog, you would think you were going mad. 
you start to think to yourself, did I do that? Did I, did I just do that? And, but now I know everybody else is experiencing it, you know, ah, ah, that's the menopause. And it's such a brilliant time at the moment for the menopause because everybody's on it, you know, and you can get so much advice everywhere. So I'm really grateful that it's happened to me at such a time because for the, our mums and before us, you know, it was a closeted nightmare. You had to keep it all into yourself. The change was a dark and mysterious. Men used to tiptoe away. And no one spoke about it. <laughs> You'd have to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to. Yeah, it sounds like you can't really, you don't want to go through that on your own because genuinely you might, you might actually be ill. So you need to be able to discuss these things. So then your other sisters go, honey, that's just menopause. Or honey, go to the bloody hospital now. You know, if you don't talk about it, you're almost not safe. I think women did go mad in the past. I mean, obviously they didn't go mad, but they were called mad. Oh gosh, because they're forgetting things and they're and they they were you know there's erraticness and mood swings and anger, you know, and really you're just getting angry as well because you're looking at the world and going, no, I don't like that, oh. and I'm old enough to say it now. But a lot of that, you know, goes hand in hand with the mood swings as well, and and you can feel like you're losing your control mm. over your behavior sometimes which is terrifying for anyone unless you know it's the menopause and then you go ah oh, that's what it. it is you know I'm all over it what would your advice be is there anything that women can do to kind of quell these mad hot flushes and um, brain fog and things like that is there any type of like nutritional advice or exercise advice or I'm useless with professional advice, but I follow so many wonderful people, you know, on, on Instagram. Instagram is a wonderful place for menopausal women because you've got doctors, you've got, you know, specialists, you've got celebrities all doing lovely podcasts with uh, you talking about the nutrition, talking about the actual HRT and the ins and outs of that. So there's so much available now. The, the only advice I can give from the skills that I have is to keep talking constantly and seeking out other people who are in that same boat because it makes, you know, a world of difference, a world. It's better than going to your GP who's one person. Yeah, and they don't get training. Yeah, so true. They said that, you know, when they do their studies, there's a tiny part on the menopause and that is changing now. Everything is changing and a lot of GPs are wonderful and you know, and are really sort of specialised, especially women. And so it is really on the turn. And, and that's such a pause. I mean, Davina McCall has done wonders for oh, us menopausal women. She? Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. such a fan. I love that woman. Yeah, she's amazing because she did the documentary and, you know, she's really lifted the lid on it. Oh, did she do a documentary on it? Oh, that's great. Honestly, Joss, she, in fact, we will remember her in history, I think, because she has changed the course of history for women of a certain age. I think she's really, really done something wonderful and you should definitely check it out. Not yet. You've got plenty of time. Oh no, I You're will. <laughs> I'm very interested You've got in impending it. motherhood. I know. I don't know. I wonder if it feels like you're pregnant all the time. Who knows? But the body is an interesting thing, isn't it? It I, is. I always it text is. my doctor when I have weird things happen. He goes, honestly, Joss, I don't know. That sounds crazy, but you're pregnant. So good luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's anything. very funny. It's like anything goes. I'm like, anything okay. can happen. Oh, God. Yeah, it's quite mad being a woman, but it's also kind of awesome, really. 
Well, you're literally growing a human inside of you. I mean, it doesn't change how many times I say that. You are growing a human inside of you. Pretty cool trick. It's a hugely cool trick, um, <laughs> but it, it takes over absolutely everything, Yeah, you know, and then your body has then got to get used to not having a human inside of it. And can you imagine how everything has to, it's your organs, the way they shrink back. I know, madness. They're all separated. Mm. It's bonkers. And then they, they must be like, oh, hey, <laughs> not seen you for a while. <laughs> like what is uh, going on? You know, on? and it's, yeah, oh, it dear. is. You've got to have a sense of humour to give birth. And be yeah, yes. So your Facebook page is that still going on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I'm Donna Ashworth now on on Facebook. So now you're no longer anonymous. I'm no longer anonymous. Okay. Uh, so you can find me at Donna Ashworth and same on Instagram and TikTok. I'm down with the kids now. Oh, are you? TikTok. <gasps> do you do dances? <laughs> do you do the little? No. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I just read out poems and actually TikTok is brilliant for a spoken word. There's quite a lot of it. I mean, my son is a bit devastated that I'm on TikTok. Oh. He's a bit like, oh, mummy, why would you do that to me? Oh, bless. Because <laughs> his friends are oh, seeing it. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. He'll be doing them with you soon. Yeah, well, that would be nice. But no, they're they're horrified at the moment. I'm sure one day they'll look back and be a little bit proud. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Of course they will. Oh, Donna, it has been an absolute delight talking to you. And on October the 4th, I'm going to purchase the book Love and the book Life and the book Loss. I'm going to purchase all three of them. Yay! <laughs> and I'm going to buy your Christmas album. And oh, I cannot yeah. <laughs> wait. And it's not too early to mention it, everyone, before no, you start. Of course not. <laughs> Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Christmas all year. Let's go. <laughs> Christmas makes me happy, very happy. All right, darling, it's lovely to meet you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for reading my poems and thank you for singing them. Oh, you're very welcome anytime. You have made my journey so far. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, lovely. Take care. Oh, thank you. Bye. Before you click off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you, whether you listen to every episode or you've only just found us today. It means so much that you're here on this happiness journey with us. My understanding of happiness is changing and evolving every time I speak to one of my amazing guests. But what I really hope is that you're getting something out of it too. That's why we do this. I want you to be able to live a happier, more fulfilled life. And one of the easiest ways to do that, as we've learned, is to help the people around you improve theirs. So here's my challenge to you. Think about one thing that you learned from my guest today. Really think about how it could change your happiness or improve your happiness. Now, tell one person. Just one person will do. And make their day a little better. Share the love. Thanks again for listening. See you next time for another cup of happy.